Welcome to Fumpale Podcast, where we are unpacking opinions and changing destinations. I am your host, Shirley Altador, where each week we will chat about how to rise strong out of all types of obstacles that come with relationships. Through personal life experiences and discussions ranging from infidelity, trust, forgiveness, sex, heartbreak, self-love, and so much more. I am passionate and obsessed to provide guidance to every woman to create a better life. Let's dive in, pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. With me, your virtual girlfriend. Welcome back to another episode of Fumpale Podcast. Today on Storytime, we have a special guest with us today. We have Dr. Supatra Tovar. She is one of the few clinical psychologists in the country who is also a registered dietitian and fitness expert. Dr. Tovar's unique background and integrated specializations allow her to provide holistic mind-body treatment for trauma, eating disorders, depression, anxiety, and so much more. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. We're not going to tell anybody the basic lesson I had to take to make sure I pronounced your name right, even though it's not (laughs) difficult. (laughs) Everyone has to take that same lesson, so don't feel bad. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I'm going to pass you the mic to add on to who you are and what you do and all the extras. Yes. So uh, I am a clinical psychologist as well as registered dietitian and fitness expert. And the reason why I have all of those, uh, you know, accreditations and um, degrees is because I'm just so fascinated uh, on how we can treat people in a holistic way. Meaning, you know, it's if you're treating for somebody, someone for mental health, uh, it's not just what they're thinking or what they're feeling. It's also how they're living, how they're sleeping, how they're functioning in the world. So I really like to look at all of my clients, whether it's an individual, child, couples, or families, I'd like to look at them holistically so I can provide them the most comprehensive treatment. So, uh, you know, in the case of couples, as we're talking about today, uh, I might, you know, really kind of delve into, uh, say, they're a new um, their new parents, how much are they sleeping? What are their, you know, distribution of chores when it comes to their child? All of those things along with how they communicate with each other so that I can help treat them in the best way possible. Wonderful. I love the fact that you can uh, discuss so many different avenues and so many different topics. Now, I wanted to ask you, what made you go in this direction? being a clinical psychologist, also a registered dietitian and an expert, like what, at what point, like at 20, you're like, this is what I was going to do, or mm-hmm. how did you end up to where you are now? It, it definitely was a three-part process. <laughs> I started out in, in fitness and I uh, just fell, I'm a Pilates instructor, so I okay. fell in love with Pilates and what it was doing for my body and also just for me managing stress and anxiety. And then, you know, when you're a Pilates instructor, most of the time you're either doing individual or group sessions. So in Mm -hmm. my individual sessions, I found myself almost as a therapist to my clients. They would come in, they would tell me all their problems. They would tell, you know, ask me how to lose weight. 
I, you know, have always been very interested in nutrition. And that's when I thought, well, I think I need a little bit more in order to be able to counsel people fully on their health. So then it transitioned into nutrition. Um, there were other reasons why I chose nutrition as well, having seen, you know, very close friends of mine suffering from eating disorders um, and not having that problem myself uh, and really wanting to help people find their healthiest path to diet, nutrition, and fitness. And so then when I got into my nutrition program, I realized, well, I can counsel people on their diet, but there's so many emotional reasons why somebody might, you know, be overeating or not eating enough that I didn't feel like I had the scope of practice that I needed. So then I went on into uh, studying clinical psychology. And that's when I really knew that I had reached the pinnacle of what I could know in order to treat somebody's entire health and while not being an yourself. MD, because I didn't want to go to be an MD. <laughs> I don't like fluids. I don't like blood. So this was the path for me. That's great. You really pushed yourself. You went from fitness to diet to people's brains and minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You followed your heart and because mm -hmm. dietitian, isn't that long? It is. All of it's long. <laughs> it's been a really long road, but uh, going to uh, the, uh, through dietetics program, it's a three years master program. And then you have a, ah. an internship as well off of that. So that was a road that I took, and it was very long and completely fulfilling and amazing. Great. Uh, and then uh, to be a psychologist, it was a it was a five year path plus some postdoctoral work as well. So <laughs> I, I like Girl, to tell busy. the kids that I I treat that I went to like the twenty third grade or something like that. <laughs> Girl, that's good. That's good. Congratulations. That Thank is very you. good. You never gave up. I'm assuming, are you going back to school for something else? Oh, gosh, no. She said, like, I'm done. Uh-uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm done. No. I'm good. I have no. enough accolades under my belt. I'm good. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to start off today with is infidelity. We're going to use me as the example because I have been both victim and a perpetrator. Mm -hmm. And with infidelity, I would like to discuss the difference between men and women. Mm. Also. Do you feel, I guess here's my first question, because Shirley always has a whole bunch of questions. Mm -hmm. Do you feel men cheat more than women or women do it secretly? And what is the ultimate cause? I always hear, oh, it's because of something they're missing in their relationship. Mm -hmm. What is your thought when it comes to infidelity? Well, I do think that it usually depends on the sex, but I don't tend to like to make mass generalizations about mm -hmm. either sex. And you do hear about men, you know, committing infidelity far, far more often than women. And the reason for that, I think, is more social conditioning than anything else. I think it's more socially acceptable and has been over time for men to have affairs or to have mistresses or to, you know, have dalliances when they are traveling. That That's something that I think has been conditioned into the minds of men as being more acceptable than a woman. But I do think that you're right. 
I think there's a lot more infidelity than we might know on a female side because we're conditioned not to do that, that that is absolutely mm -hmm. completely taboo and something that, you know, will tear apart the family, break up, you know, your marriage, you know, and, and if you're looking in history might have sent a woman out into the street and not have, you know, any means to support herself. She would have ended up, you know, maybe even going into prostitution or something like that. So mm -hmm. far more acceptable for men, far less acceptable for women, but probably committed maybe even equally on both sides. We just don't really have those numbers. Do you think many times it's because especially as women. And I had spoke about this on season one, where women have so much restrictions on what they're going to do sexually to their spouse. Mm. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. So I'm a fan of Investigation Discovery. I was mm -hmm. watching that. The serial killer actually said one of the reasons why he chose to sleep with prostitutes is because they would perform fellatio in him that his wife would not do. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I felt that to be very interesting. And I do believe at times some women are like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Okay. Well, did you guys discuss this before you got into a serious relationship? How are you just going to tell your partner that you're not doing that? And of course, I don't come from a clinical background like you do. Mm -hmm. But is it right to put a restriction sexually? like that for your partner? Well, I, I actually think f for most people, because sex is such a taboo topic, that most couples don't talk about this. They just end up together sexually, <laughs> and then they kind of go with what they have, and they don't tend to talk about what they need or what they want or what they prefer. And because it's just such a, you know, a, a touchy topic, especially if you're not getting what you want and you need, mm -hmm. you know, and depending on the sex too uh, of the person, you may never, ever express that to your partner. I've, mm -hmm. I've seen it on both sides. I've seen okay. women who will not you know, express to their partner what they want. You know, maybe they want their partner to go down on them. Maybe mm -hmm. they want something, you know, a little spicier, a little bit more exciting other than the missionary position. And mm -hmm. it could go both ways. The man could feel that way too. But I think it really depends on how well the couple communicates. And if, if the communication's not there, that's when you tend to see people reaching outside of their marriage to satisfy their needs, whether it's with prostitutes or through pornography watching, masturbation, whatever it might be, I think it's really comes down to being a communication issue. Absolutely. Because for me, when I committed infidelity, it wasn't, I didn't feel needed. Mm -hmm. The person I um, had the affair with gave me that need that I was missing in my relationship. Right. There was a gap in communication mm -hmm. and the attention that I was missing in my home, instead mm -hmm. of me being a little more mature, trying to work on it, talk it out and walk away, mm -hmm. which is the responsible thing to do. No, mm -hmm. you know what? 
you're taking the negative focus that's going on in my home away. So you know what? I'm just going to deal with you right now. And whatever comes after, I'll deal with after. And speaking for myself, that was the reason why I got caught up in the situation that I got caught up in. And at that moment, that's when I realized, oh, I guess you never say never, because I would have never in my life thought I would be in that situation. I just thought that was, I was above all that. Right. But above all what though? because infidelity doesn't have a label or anything like that so what was I above nothing because I'm human and I'm prone to error Mm -hmm. and I think when you do that you create a bit of what's called cognitive dissonance in yourself like you Mm -hmm. said you never would have thought that you did that you would do that you Mm -hmm. had no idea you know growing up that that was something that you would turn to and when you did there's a lot of guilty feelings that come with doing that. So you tend to justify your actions. Oh, well, I'm not getting what I need over here. So this is just me getting what I need, even though you know what you're doing is wrong because it's breaking the other person's trust, whether they find out or not, mm-hmm. uh, you're breaking the trust that's you know been built in your relationship. And that guilt can stay with you throughout the infidelity. If you don't mind me asking, did your partner ever find out? Did Oh, what we know. Oh, mm-hmm. everyone knows. Mm-hmm. It's on season one of the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, friends and family know there's no secret. Mm-hmm. But it took healing mm-hmm. for me to get to where I am. It mm-hmm. took a lot of healing for me to confidently be able to talk about it. And when I say confidently, I'm not promoting infidelity. I'm just saying there was a a time where I couldn't I couldn't speak about it. If anybody asked me, it was a trigger. I didn't want to say anything. I was embarrassed. Right. And then I ended up being the victim. I went from perpetrator to the victim, you know, and I also believe our relationship because we started so young, 15, 16, we're now 38 and 39, Mm -hmm. stupid when it came to how to function in a relationship. Mm -hmm. I look at my 14 year old now and I'm like, a year from now, I'm going to be, I met her father when I was her age, dumb, Mm -hmm. literally. That's the best description I can give. You don't know Mm -hmm. anything about a relationship. So We started off so young, making poor decisions. Mm -hmm. Now with his infidelity, it got so far that a child was created. And that's a whole different level of pain and hurt you have to deal with. Uh Now, again, as I always say on the podcast, every relationship is different. So please don't compare your situation to my situation because what worked for us may not work for you. We're still together. Mm -hmm. Is it easy every day? No, it's not easy every day. But we make the conscious effort to do what we need to do for the benefit of our relationship and also for the benefit of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because many times we had to ask ourselves, is this something we can stay in? Is this something we can truly handle? Mm -hmm. And when I say handle, infidelity hurts. It's It's like someone taking a knife to your skin and just just back and forth cutting. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. That's the pain. That And they're not lifting the knife up at any point in time. Mm-hmm. So it's just a back and forth pain until mm-hmm. you're numb. Yes. You know, so when the child was created for the longest time, it was just like, and let me tell you too, I used to always say to him, and I feel as though there's a lot of portions to the story, but I'm going to say the smaller portion. I used to say, the minute you get a girl pregnant, I'm leaving. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I had to ask God, God, did I manifest this? Mm-hmm. Why am I in this situation? And for a long, for the longest time, I was so upset at him. And I was like, I don't understand why I'm getting punished. Maybe I manifested this because I kept saying this over and over and over and over and over again. And I brought it to fruition. Well, that's a really good question. So have you answered that for yourself? Why did you say that over and over? You know what? I don't have a true answer, but if I have to comment on what you're asking me, Mm -hmm. I think it was me trying to show some type of stupid dominance in the relationship. Mm. If that make like me saying, yeah, you got me now, but you know, you go out and do this, you do this, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. But my ass didn't leave right away. Mm-hmm. We did end up separating for a brief period of time, but I did not leave right away. Well, I do, don't do you think know. it might've been even, you know, a fear of yours that you were trying to warn him against by saying, you know, here you have me and you better stay with me and appreciate me. And if you were to do anything, that's the moment you lose me. I think that that sounds in some ways more like, um, you know, an ultimatum or just, you know, your, your demand of the relationship. And I think that usually that comes from a fear of losing the relationship. So mm-hmm. when you got together with him, I mean, you guys were together from very young age. Mm-hmm. What was it that, you know, just made you fall head over heels for him? Interesting you said that the way you said it, because I've never thought about it as a fear. But the fear of losing him makes a lot of sense. So when our relationship first started, out of the 23 years, the first few years, we were just like friends with benefits. Mm. It wasn't necessarily a a serious relationship. Just, hey, what you doing? Come on Mm -hmm. over. Boop, boop, boop. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a, you know how when you get older, They say you don't always date who you need, you date who you want. Mm -hmm. I think in the beginning, it was more of a physical attraction Mm -hmm. and Shirley didn't really know what she needed. Right. I just knew what I wanted at the time Mm -hmm. and physically it looked attracted Mm -hmm. and that's all I knew. Mm -hmm. At 15, 16, I lost my Virginia at 15. I didn't know what the hell a boundary was. Mm -hmm. Ask me then, I'm like, what, a boundary? Like, okay. I don't know. I, I wouldn't even know what to tell you at 15. A boundary? What are you talking about? I don't think about? any kid would know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I look back, I think it was just teenage love at first. Mm. And maybe that combined together, me actually thinking about it now, maybe that's why I was saying it. Mm-hmm. But I really, truly don't have an answer of why I kept repeating this to this man and saying that. One thing I knew, I definitely knew, if I didn't know anything, I knew I didn't want a man with children Mm. because I didn't want to deal with any baby mama drama Mm -hmm. that I possibly had to, you know, deal with at my little young tender age. Mm -hmm. So I wanted a man that was child free. Mm -hmm. I was, you know. 15, 16, 17, 18, looking and, you know, even though we were friends with benefits, I, um, 
we still dated, but that was one rule that I had. Mm. I didn't want any man that had children Mm. because I didn't want to deal with any other woman that was in the picture. And I wanted to be the significant one. I wanted to be the one that you dedicated 200% of your time with. So I guess that's the only thing I knew at that young age that I didn't want to be anybody's little coleslaw. (laughs) I I wanted you to focus primarily on me. Yes. Which I <laughs> That's think makes all I knew. sense. You know, you're saying if you are out with anybody, if you have a child with anybody, I'm gone. Because what you wanted was full 100% attention and love from mm. that person. You did not want to share that person with anyone. Yeah. So, I mean, infidelity is tough. It is really tough. It's tough. It's tough. The surviving infidelity, I think, is the real tough part because I think, you know, the societal expectation is you cheat on me, that's it, the relationship's over. And a lot of couples don't do that. A lot of couples actually stay together. And the staying together after infidelity is what's really, really hard because the trust will never, ever be the same. Mm -hmm. It's just different. And how you overcome that, how you come back together and learn how to love each other fully, that's what determines the success of the relationship. So when you both discovered this with each other, how did you come back together? How did you decide to overcome this problem? Healing has taken a long time. Mm-hmm. It's been years. Now, mm-hmm. when I ask him about how he feels about my cheating, it's truly a conversation he's not even till this day really truly comfortable having. Mm-hmm. What he likes to say is, I do understand why you did it because mm-hmm. I wasn't the man that I needed to be for you. Mm-hmm. So he told me that's one of the big reasons why I choose not to bring it up mm-hmm. because I don't fault you for it. I do understand why you did it. Mm -hmm. And at times I say, well, I would still like you to talk about it and say Mm -hmm. something to me a little Mm -hmm. more. But he says there's nothing more that needs to be said. Wow. So Mm -hmm. how do you take that? Oh, I I accept it. Mm -hmm. I understand. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I feel like I think From male to female, I think it's a conversation that he does not want to fully have and dive deep into because Mm -hmm. the thought of of another man sleeping with your woman is not comfortable for Mm -hmm. a man. Right. And it sounds like he harbors a lot of shame for not being the man that you needed him to be. I think, you know, when when a man fully loves a woman and the Mm -hmm. woman cheats on them, I think it's sometimes an even bigger blow for the man. And I think that goes back to our societal expectations. Men just expect women to be, you know, faithful, true, uh, never cheat. And when they do, it's, it's, it's just world shattering for them. Mm -hmm. And it makes them really have to just delve inside and say, well, what, was it in me? Now, this is to say, women do this as well. Mm-hmm. What was it in me that wasn't good enough? What did mm-hmm. I do wrong? 
why was I not enough for this person? And for a man to be able to talk about that, who is not at all conditioned to talk about feelings, about where they're coming from, about, you know, how this is affecting them, they're just conditioned to go straight forward, move past the situation, repair and solve, and let the past be the past. Most men don't really want to or have a difficult time delving into that reason. But if they have the bravery to do that, that can be life-changing for them because they can realize where they may have kind of fallen short in the relationship, where they might not have you know, been able to provide uh, the care that their partner needed. So, you know, just continuing to gently talk to him about this, trying to, you know, help him to feel comfortable, help him know that he's not being judged about it. Um, you know, he may be able to open up a little bit more with time. I think so too. It's taken a lot of time for us to get to where we are right now. Mm -hmm. Our relationship has changed drastically mm -hmm. with maturity mm -hmm. and hard work. Mm -hmm. um, therapy, because there's Good. no way we would be able to do this alone. I we were two ask. idiots trying to figure out how to make it work. I remember I went to my therapist and he said, he said to me, I'm going to tell you right now, Shirley, if you're coming to me thinking you're better than him, you need to wake up. You're both toxic and any relationship you would go into, you would most likely fail because you don't know how to cultivate a healthy relationship. And when he told me that, now he's like a big brother to me. I love him. Him and his wife, they um, have coaching sessions together. I love him. He's like a big brother to me. And I respect mm -hmm. his honesty because I don't want a coach that's going to fluff everything. Like, right. you can't possibly fluff everything for me. You need to hit me hard mm -hmm. and let me know and wake up out of my bubble. Because I did walk in there thinking, ah, I'm better. No, you're not. Mm -hmm. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. You're both fucked up. <laughs> and we will repair this together if you both want to walk down this healthy path together. I think that was really good in terms of setting up the expectation for couples mm -hmm. therapy. It's, you know, the reason why somebody uh, cheats is never just because of one person. It always takes two to tango or yes. not to tango in this case. And so what did you feel you did that contributed to this environment? I didn't make my man feel as though I needed him. Mm. I am one of those women and I'm learning still to this day. Mm. You have to let your man be a man in a healthy way. And I know mm. when women hear that, especially women who are have this controlling mindset, like I'm that woman, I used to say, I don't need you. You could go at any time. Mm -hmm. A man doesn't want to hear that. Mm -hmm. And this was like an everyday verbiage for me. Mm. Unhealthy. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why I was showing all this dominance mm. for what, because I did want him there. I mm -hmm. do need his love. Mm -hmm. So that was part of my contribution. Mm -hmm. um, making him feel insignificant. Mm -hmm. Not showing love mm -hmm. and not verbally thanking him and making him feel appreciated. Mm -hmm. So that's, those are many of the few things of mm -hmm. why he felt the way he did, why mm -hmm. he stepped out. 
you know, and then when I listened to his and when I listened to mine, it seemed it, they're pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. We were just neglecting each other. Mm. Well, I think it's just so wonderful that you can see that in yourself. You know, you were able to kind of detach from yourself and see yourself from a different perspective. And oftentimes mm -hmm. those kinds of behaviors, so say that we're, you know, just trying to push everybody away. I don't need you. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. That usually comes from something in our childhood. That's usually either what we saw our parents do. It's because of our attachment to our parents, whether our parent was, you know, the same type of person or they were, you know, kind of neglectful, or they might have been too um, controlling, too uh, dominating, uh, or they may even have been abusive. It really does depend on the type of parenting that you saw as a child, and then you start to model that as you grow up, or you you develop these behaviors as a defense against being hurt. So it sounds like, in some ways, for you you know, being queen bee and saying, uh-uh, you're not going to hurt me. I don't need you. I, I don't have to have you in my life. I'm fine without you is certainly sounding like a defense against possible hurt. Does that ring true in some ways? I saw you like smile. Really big. Girl, <laughs> I think my mother said that every day on day. There you go. She go. said that every day. She still says that till today. I love my parents. We don't have the closest relationship. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I heard it a lot. Mm -hmm. She let my father know how much she didn't need that man. Mm -hmm. So yes. I heard it. And you're not the first time I'm hearing about mm -hmm. you don't realize how much of an effect your childhood has on okay. your adult life until mm -hmm. you start adulting. Mm -hmm. And you take the time to sit down and realize, oh, shit, mm -hmm. my mom did that mm -hmm. or my dad did that mm -hmm. or this is what I saw. And let me ask you, what did your dad, how did he react to that? What did he, was there any particular behavior that he showed with that? <sighs> he didn't show, my dad is very calm, cool, and very docile man. Mm-hmm. For visually what I saw, I really, truly could not wrap my little head around what the arguments were about. Mm. Um, there was arguments consistently. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed like at times my mom was always the aggressor mm -hmm. and my dad had to deal with whatever was thrown at him. Okay. Still to this day, they're together. Mm -hmm. And when I was an adult, I finally told them, you guys need to separate. You're not happy, mm -hmm. but they're not separating. Mm -hmm. He never has done anything till this day. Now mm -hmm. I'm 38. Mm -hmm. My brother's 30, soon to be 31. Mm -hmm. They're still together. So the kids are out the house. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what they're attached to at this point in time. Right. And my mom has said, listen to this. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I don't want him to get half of what I have. So I'm going to stay right here. Wow. So it's still going on even later on. And I'm an adult, almost 40. And I still am hearing this. Mm. Well, let me ask you, who do you feel closer to, your mom or your dad? Neither. So let me, <laughs> let me tell you the story of that. So I was born in Haiti. Mm -hmm. My mother left when I was six months old. My father left when I was three months old. Mm. My grandparents raised me. Oh, wow. And they are the ones who I identify as my mother and father. Mm -hmm. um, 
I came here when I was four and a half years old. Oh, wow. That first year was extremely hard. Mm -hmm. So as a foreigner, many foreign countries, they do this. The parents leave the child. They come to try to get the life set up, bring the child over. So basically, do you have children? No. Just think, think you have niece and nephew? Oh, yeah. Just think of your niece at four and a half years old, mm. taken from the environment that she had grew up in from when she was born to four and a half. A four and a half year old child is not stupid because I saw my kids at that age. And when they were at that age, I was like, I can only imagine if I take these little two people at the environment that they're used to, put them in another environment. And now you say, this is your mom and dad, and this is who you're going to live with. Right. Now, I guess most human beings can adapt. But I never did. Mm -hmm. So my aunt, her sister, had told me later on, the first year was extremely difficult for me. I would not let my mother dress me. Wow. Um, it was very straining. Mm -hmm. It was very hard. About, I think, six months when I was here, when my uncle, her brother, who I remembered from back home, mm -hmm. that's when I kind of started to feel a little more comfortable because now I was identifying with people that I knew. And her sister, my aunt, who actually, it was her and my grandma who really truly was tending to me. Mm -hmm. And my one other aunt who has passed, when she came, mm -hmm. then the comfort level completely changed because now I was identifying with people I remember. Right. So the connection between me my mother and my father has been very hard yeah. because of that very situation mm -hmm. that I was taken out of my comfortable environment into the situation. And I think right. even still this day, mm -hmm. I've never really found closure with it. Mm -hmm. There was a part of me that was a little angry with grandma and grandpa, mm -hmm. but it wasn't grandma and grandpa's choice because as I got right. older, I realized my mom wanted me to come here. Right. I was her child, yes. so they couldn't hold me hostage. Right. And as I got older, I realized that so that I wasn't angry with them. But then I was like, why did you want me for what? Because I come here and it's like the love I had there is not the same. Right. And what, what was the love that your mom and dad provided you? What kind of love did they give? I think it was just the making sure I'm good, taking care of your child. But when it came to emotional love, yes. there was really none. Right. That's what I was missing, that emotional love mm -hmm. that I had back home that I didn't right. have here because I was, for the first year, I was already like not wanting these people to touch me. Right. So I was already creating this barrier. Yes. So now they're trying their best to deal with me. Mm -hmm. My mother even made the comment to her own mother saying, you made my child hate me. Mm. You know, these are all the things it's like, mm -hmm. it's like, wow. And that's and why it as, makes perfect sense that as you started to grow up and form your own opinions and your own behaviors and ways, you chose to keep that wall up because mm -hmm. it was severed at such a, an important age. You were primarily attached to your grandparents. 
That's mm-hmm. where you were receiving all of your security and your love and just your your feelings of safety. And then just snatched out of that into an environment. And granted, they are your biological parents, but they're not providing that level of comfort and safety and emotional warmth and love. And so that just puts the wall up immediately because you no longer think you're safe. So then you go into your relationships holding on to that wall and that barrier so that you cannot get hurt. So that's why I think it makes perfect sense. And you may even have unconsciously chose your partner because he may have exhibited some of those same kinds of behaviors that your parents did. Maybe he was aloof. Maybe he just kind of acted like he he didn't care or he was, you know, maybe a little more docile like your dad. And so you went into those roles kind of emulating your mom a little bit and maybe he was emulating your dad a little bit. And the reason why we do that, it's not like we're going out and we're trying to like, you know, marry our parents or anything like that. But when there's an attachment breach or there's, you know, any kind of difficulty in your primary attachments as a child, you unconsciously try to resolve that as an adult with your partner. And Mm -hmm. if you can do it successfully, you can actually heal that part of yourself in your childhood. But most often people who seek out whoever they've had difficulties, you know, in terms of their attachments, they usually just create and keep the same pattern going unless there is some kind of intervention like therapy or some kind of big realization that this is what's happening to you now. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever thought about it as deeply. My therapist even mentioned it to me because he made me bring it up. (laughs) So now after he made me bring it up, I'm more comfortable even talking about it on air because of course, that's the point of the podcast and talking about these deep, dark conversations that people don't want to have, you know, and even as a host, I have no shame in saying I don't sit behind this mic and act like I'm perfection because I'm Mm -hmm. fucking not. Mm -hmm. I'm like a walking fuck up. No, but in a healthy way, a walking fuck. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone is a walking fuck up. But you know, I'm consistently wanting to learn, consistently Mm -hmm. wanting to do better. But I see the connection. Mm -hmm. And you know, to answer your question, yeah, I'm not close to any of them. I'm not close to any of them. And you know, it's interesting. I tell people I don't call my parents mom and dad. I identify to other people. If I'm in conversation with you, I'll tell you that's my mother and that's my father. Mm -hmm. But when I'm speaking to them, I don't address them as mom and dad. Mm. I just start the conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, and Mm -hmm. that just shows you how you're still protecting your heart to this day. And do you feel that there's anything missing or that you would want to resolve with them? Or do you feel like this is just where it is and you have acceptance for that? I I hope this doesn't sound cold. Mm-hmm. I love them. Mm-hmm. They're my parents. Mm-hmm. And I will always do the best that I'm capable of doing for them. Mm-hmm. But that's where it ends. That's and acceptance. I've, yeah, that's and where that's it ends. Okay. I don't care. Like, deep in my heart, mm-hmm. I do see my grandparents as my mom and dad, mm-hmm. even though I know those are my biological parents. Mm-hmm. And it hurts because 
I don't want to hurt mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And if they were to hear this, they would think I would be so mean and mm-hmm. my daughter doesn't love me. Mm-hmm. But this is the type of understanding where they they won't get it. Mm-hmm. They just won't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, so. you know, the question is, is that okay? Is it okay that you have, you know, a deeper and more heartfelt attachment to your grandparents than you do to your parents. And I think it is. I think that, you know, you can't force that connection. You can't make it happen. You can certainly accept your parents for who and what they are and Mm -hmm. see them as the human beings that they are, but you may never have that, you know, deep heartfelt connection like you do with your grandparents. But I think Mm -hmm. one of the greatest things that we can do as adults is come to some place like that for, you know, the feelings about that we have about our parents. Most people, mm-hmm. you know, have something that's unresolved or some kind of feelings, you know, about the way that their parents, you know, raise them. And a lot of people hold and harbor that um, as resentment as they get into their adult lives. Uh, mm-hmm. But the more you can just look at your parents as human beings, try to understand that they were doing the very best that they could possibly do, even if that that best was not very good. Mm-hmm. You can just learn to let go of that expectation. And I think when we let go of that expectation, the the tension between us and our parents tend to, you know, dissolve. And, t- you know, you tend to then just be comfortable with each other as you are. And I think that that's one of the greatest places that you can get with your parents in your adult life. True, mm-hmm. true. And I think the three of us have accepted what it is. Mm-hmm. I think my mother knows more than she ever would want to talk to me about. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, we don't talk about it. Right. We, we, we just have respect for each other. I know, she knows, we all know, and it is what it is mm-hmm. pretty much. And um, I love her from a distance. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah. And we come together for the, you know, she sees her grandkids. She, I, you know, she's not like restricted from the grandchildren, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's just one of those things I have to love from a distance anyway, because their relationship is toxic. So I have to keep myself at bay because mm-hmm. I've already, um, taken too much of that Mm -hmm. toxicity from when I was a child. So now as an adult, I realize, okay, Mm -hmm. I need to keep myself at bay Mm -hmm. because you guys are still in the toxic situation you were in when I was in a child. So this was a great session for me. Hopefully this is definitely beneficial for someone else that has maybe similar situation Mm -hmm. infidelity. Of course, you can relate to. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to segue into something else. Now that I'm a parent, Mm -hmm. how do I make sure? I think I've been doing a really good job Mm -hmm. to lead my children in a healthy way. I, you know, we... Our relationship is not perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like when um, their little sister was born, mm-hmm. I had them embrace their little sister. I mm-hmm. I uh, let them know what the situation was. Interestingly enough, I'm going to tell you a little comedy about it. Mm-hmm. This will put some laugh on people's face to see how innocent children are. Mm-hmm. So when the situation happened, my son said to me, so is daddy going to have more kids with this girl? 
was like, oh my gosh. Girl. We hope not. <laughs> We hope not. I didn't even know how to answer. And that's exactly what I said. I said, it shouldn't happen again. Mm -hmm. This is the innocence of children. Yes. Now, at the time, they were, they're 13 and 14 now. So they do understand mm -hmm. what happened. Mm -hmm. But they didn't understand. I think they were uh, six and seven at the time. So, yeah. so they did not understand what infidelity was. Mm -hmm. So his innocence in that question, it's like, mm -hmm. What's going on? You're our mommy. Now you're telling us this is our sister and she doesn't have the same mommy. Right. They couldn't understand how to wrap this around their head. Right. So I've tried to create as healthy a situation as we both can. Good. You know, so they see their sister. They're around their sister. They know mm -hmm. the situation now. Mm -hmm. How do I make sure my daughter, I, I tell my daughter, and I, I haven't told her yet, but my plan is to let her know, listen, my relationship is my relationship. I don't want you to emulate what I did mm -hmm. because you may not feel as though what I did was the right decision. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you would do if you were in that situation, but I don't want her to look at my relation and say, well, if someone cheats on me, I need to stay. No, you need to do what is best for you. Mm -hmm. What I did, what was best for me may not be best for you. Right. Well, I think, you know, the key to any relationship is communication. So mm. with our children, I think we tend to think we have to gloss things over. We might not, you know, be as as truthful as we might be with an adult. And what I'm really loving hearing is that you, you know, brought in this girl to your home, which is yeah. an amazing thing. Um you know, I don't know if the mother's still a part of her life. Is she, is your daughter with you full time? No, she's not with us full time. Mm -hmm. The mother is a part of her life. Mm -hmm. um, but we do see her okay. right now. She comes over every weekend. So mm -hmm. I've always tried to make it a point for her to be a part of our lives. Mm -hmm. There were periods where it's been a strife. It really has sure. because it's the scorn woman, the mm -hmm. control, and many times she didn't want the child to be around me. So it's been quite hard at times, mm -hmm. but I try to bring her around as much as I can so they know this is your sister. I don't know what relationship you guys are going to have mm -hmm. when you get older, mm -hmm. but when you guys are 18, I'm, I'm stepping back. That's up right. to y'all. If y'all want to call each other on a daily, weekly basis, I don't know. Right. But at least right now, you're going to know this is your sister. Well, I think, you know, in terms of the, the communication with her, uh, you know, it, it's easy to think that she could have that assumption. Oh, if a man cheats on me, I need to stay with him because, you know, I saw my stepmom essentially do the same thing with my dad. Um, and she is seeing that example, but she's not necessarily seeing a negative example. She's seeing okay. someone who is kind and compassionate and forgiving and who can work through problems and pain and still have love with that person. So what you're actually showing her is a great example of compassion and forgiveness that she can carry into her life because that, like I said, there are so many people who don't just leave out of a relationship. They don't just like, exactly. you know, exit. They will stay and they will try to work on it and they will try to, to, to make the relationship work. And there's so much judgment actually on that. And I don't think that that's necessarily warranted. Yes, that person did betray your trust, but does that mean that you just throw them out into the street? 
they may actually want to atone for that. They may actually ask for forgiveness. And if you can forgive that person and work through the communication problems and the difficulties that led to the infidelity, then you're actually fully loving somebody, you know, flaws and all. And I think that that's one of the highest forms of love is how, if you can forgive somebody for doing that, many people can't, and that is perfectly fine as well. And I think it's on a case by case basis. So really it's about educating her on what she might want and need in a relationship how mm-hmm. she might be able to communicate those needs in a healthy, direct, non-confrontational way, and how mm-hmm. she can ask for what she needs from her partner. And if she's kind of, you know, geared up into adulthood with those skills, she may never mm-hmm. even encounter somebody who cheats on her because she has such great communication. She knows her worth. She knows how to ask for what she needs. And she knows how to communicate that effectively in a non confrontational way. So, you know, she may end up with a partner that will, you know, worship the ground she walks on because she's such a Mm -hmm. powerful, loving, kind person. Wonderful. And that's Mm -hmm. such a positive way to look at it where I just always wanted to make sure, you know, we have these two girls and we have a son, three Mm -hmm. children. We want to make sure we're doing the best that we're capable of doing. Of course, there's no manual to this parenting, you know, now we're in the situation. Mm -hmm. We want the children to live happy, blessed lives, right. you know, don't base your relationship on how we did ours. Right. You know, you could see how we handled it. We did the best that we can, but I hear what you're saying, you know, don't overthink it too. And I think right. I do that too much. Don't well, overthink it. I think, you know, we all tend to do that, especially if you, you know, had infidelity in a relationship. I don't know if those thoughts ever really go away. You're always kind of wondering, will it happen again? Will the rug Mm -hmm. be pulled out from under me? And you have to work through those feelings on a day-to-day basis. But what you are showing your kids is you're showing them how you can overcome adversity, how you can, you know, continue to love somebody despite pain because the two of you are working together to stay together. And I think that that's an extremely valuable lesson. I don't know of any family that's perfect. I don't, I don't know of a single family, (laughs) whether it's your immediate family or the extended family, there's always something There's always, Mm -hmm. you know, issues and problems within a relationship, but some of the best ones have actually had infidelity in their past and have survived that and continued to move forward. You're absolutely right. Now, another segue. Mm -hmm. I know when we first started, you had mentioned something about parents sleeping at night with children. We're going to get, Shirley's getting off the topic. I Mm -hmm. think y'all got enough of Shirley for today. (laughs) (laughs) Shirley's getting off the topic. If you don't know about me, then you really ain't listening to the podcast because my business (laughs) is all out there. So I wanted you to dive into that and tell us about that. Especially there's a lot of new parents. There's Mm -hmm. uh, pandemic babies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen a few of them. (laughs) Yes. So give us a little insight on that. Well, I think, you know, 
I mean, as you know, uh, when you have a newborn, <laughs> your sleep goes right out the window and there is just really catching it while you can. And I think, you know, what I try to help my couples who are coming in as new parents is how can they tag team? How can they become this kind of united front of parenting so that, you know, one person isn't taking the brunt of everything? And usually that one person is, is the female because, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're breastfeeding most often or you're the one who's like, you know, just more conditioned to jump at the sound of a baby crying. Um, so okay. how can you evenly distribute whatever is happening, whether it's, you know, changing diapers, feeding the baby, you know, if it's not, you know, being breastfed at the moment, or can you pump and have the man feed the baby at night so that you can both try to get some equal form of sleep. So, mm -hmm. you know, it really does just take communication between the two and a willingness of the two partners. What you see most often is, you know, this conditioning that I'm talking about, especially of the roles between men and women. And men feel like, you know, for the most part, if they're conditioned this way, that they're the ones that go out, they're the ones that are working. So they, you know, get to wake up when they need to go to work, go to work, come home. They can have, you know, a little bit of baby playtime, then it's off to bed for them. While mm -hmm. the woman is like, hello. I'm over here dying. I need a break. I need a break. <laughs> I've been up all night. I've been with the baby who's been crying all day. Some, you know, uh, mothers are also trying to work or work from home at the same time. And so by the time that the guy gets home, they're just spent, they're dead. And yet they're still continuing to work, feeding the family, feeding the husband, and then not getting any sleep. So what I, that's what I tend to see more often than anything else is a woman just taking on the brunt of everything. And so I try to counsel uh, my couple clients, uh, how, do they dis how can they distribute this work? Can the man get up you know, two hours earlier and make breakfast for everybody and lunches and things like that? Can, you know, can they take the baby in the morning? Can they take the baby in the evening when they're coming home from work if they're at work? Or if both parents are working from home, how can they equally split this time so it's not just one person taking on the brunt of it and getting resentment? I also work on how the you know couples communicate with each other because most often one person will take on the brunt of everything and then not say how they're feeling about it and then resentment just grows and grows and grows until there's an explosion and you know honestly i think that that's another part of conditioning we're just not conditioned to express our needs so you know i think what's really important is how we communicate with each other. So I like to use nonviolent communication, feelings, statements, and the like to help foster communication between partners. So do you know anything about nonviolent communication? Is it how you verbally express yourself when mm -hmm. you say nonviolent mm -hmm. communication? Um, I was hearing about that from my therapist when he made the comment mm -hmm. of you're not properly communicating. Right. I was like, what are the hell are you talking about? Right. I'm, I'm saying what I need to say. You're not saying it how you should be saying it. Exactly. And I would hear his wife say it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, 
I didn't think of it like that. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with the way I'm saying it? But it sounds very harsh mm -hmm. how I'm saying it. Mm -hmm. And I, that was me. Yes. That was me. Most people. I wouldn't say anything. Yes. And I would resent. And he'd come home and he'd be chilling. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, I know he see me with this baby. Mm-hmm. And then and you make some passive aggressive say, comment. You're like, must be nice to be sitting there watching TV. Hmm? Yeah, that would be go. great if I could do that too. Yes. There you go. So, he says, Shirley, no one's a mind reader. Exactly. So if you don't open up your mouth, how is he supposed to know? Exactly. So there, there are very basic steps. There, I, there's a book called Nonviolent Communication. It's by Marshall okay. Rosenberg. It's amazing. There's very simple steps, though, that I think everybody can just take from this conversation and apply it to whatever is happening in their relationship and say it's something like that. There's unequal distribution of, you know, the work. Uh, there's building resentment against the partner. How do you communicate that? So first... I think what's the most important thing, and this is kind of the first step of this, is to actually reflect on the situation. Reflection is just okay. a really wonderful, like non-judgmental way that you can kind of paint a picture. So for example, um, you know, right now what I'm seeing in, in this, you know, you've come home, I know you're tired from work, I'm also really, really, really tired. So here we are, two people that are tired. This is just a reflection. You're just saying, this is the situation. The next step is to convey how you feel about it. And the way you can feel, this is, I think, the hardest step of all. Because when we convey how we feel, we usually point a finger and we say, you made me feel like I, you know, I'm doing all the work and I'm, you know, you're making me so angry Nobody's making you feel that way. You just feel that way. And if you can express it without using the word you, I make sure all of my couples remove the word you from their communications. When I am so stressed out, when I'm taking care of a baby all day, and I am not getting the help that I need, I feel depleted. I feel angry. I feel isolated. I feel alone. When your partner can hear how you're feeling, that immediately opens up their compassion and empathy. If there's a finger pointed at them, though, that immediately puts up this wall. And they're like, nope, mm -hmm. I'm not hearing you. I'm not doing anything to you. Mm -mm, I'm not making you feel that way. But if you mm -hmm. just say, this situation, if anyone, was in this situation with me and this was the situation this is how I would feel you are speaking in a non-confrontational non-defensive making way and your partner is able to see into your heart and they're seeing somebody who's depleted who's feeling isolated who's angry and if your partner loves you they don't want you to feel that way they want exactly. you to feel better. So that's when you can go to the next step is to request what you need. I need more help. If I had more help, I wouldn't feel this way. Is there any way that you can provide me this help? And that's, I think, what's really, really hard for us because we're so used to just kind of, you know, 
doing our thing and, and just trying to just make things work. And it's, it's hard, I think, for a lot of people to directly ask for help. But if you were to say, like, I need an hour when you get home, I need an hour or I need an hour in the morning. Can you please take the baby for these, you know, two hours so that I can take a nap or I can actually take a shower. I haven't showered in three mm -hmm. days. Could you please help me? Your partner <laughs> who loves you would, you know, want that for you. And especially if you have somebody who's, you know, equally invested as a parent, they're going to want to be, you know, to, to provide this for you. But definitely how we ask is everything making sure that we're asking and we're reflecting and we're seeing our partner in a non-defensive way, um, defensive making way. I mean, mm -hmm. girl, I'm victim. That we was me. Are. We all are. didn't ask. Mm -hmm. And I would make sarcastic comments mm -hmm. every chance I got. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's going to make somebody not want to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then I had this superhuman cape on like, I'm mom and mm -hmm. I can do it all. Mm -hmm. I can work. I can take care of the baby. Mm -hmm. And here I go, making my man feel less. Mm -hmm. I don't need you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that here's the thing I think that is a very big, you know, key secret. It's not a secret. I mean, it's, it's basically women are uh, from Venus and men are from Mars. But, uh -huh. and I think there's actually, uh, you know, the basics in that, uh, in that book that's really important is that men are driven by the need to feel wanted and appreciated. Mm -hmm. They want some kind of validation for what they're doing. And I think that that's mm -hmm. hard for a woman, you know, especially if they're taking on the brunt of everything. But the mm -hmm. moment you are appreciative and see your partner for who he is and what he's doing, it's going to make him want to do more. It's going to make him yeah. want to, to participate more. It's going to make him feel so good about himself because that's, you know, kind of what they're conditioned to want and need. Women, on the other hand, want and need understanding. That's why, you yes. know, women, when we talk to each other, we're like, oh, yeah, I totally get it. The, the conversation usually flows and the woman feels heard because that's how we're conditioned to talk to each other. But that's not how men and women actually talk to each other. I think one of the best ways that you can communicate between the sexes is trying to do it in a, you know, kind of more detached, less emotional way. So the both parties can calm and calm down. They can take deep breaths and they can convey what they want and need almost in kind of like a business-like way. Yes. then you're able to provide for each other and come back to the loving place, the more affectionate place and the more intimate place. And that's where the happy place is in your relationship. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, I see myself doing all these negatives mm -hmm. with our little ones. Mm -hmm. I, I seen it. Mm -hmm. I was victim of it. Mm -hmm. And everything that you're saying, I think to myself, I said, these are the things I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Time has educated me 
Therapy has educated me Hmm. being vocal and speaking out and realizing, you know what, it's okay, I made this mistake. But now what hard work am I going to put to better myself? Right. So I can better my relationship. Right. And you're doing it right now. You're doing it right now. And I think we all are works in progress. We are all working and striving to try to be our best selves. And, you know, some people are a little less versed in it than others. And some people have, you know, their parents example of their communication and they just model that in their lives. But if you can actually take the time, learn new communication techniques, Mm -hmm. go to therapy with your partner, find out what makes them tick, what makes you tick and how to provide each other your needs you're just you're moving up and up and up in your relationship and i think that's the best that we can do none of us are ever at the pinnacle we're always working and striving to be better awesome you have given us some key enlightenments today oh, I'm so glad. using me as an example with infidelity mm-hmm. and you know my case is not one you hear of often mm-hmm. with a you know both victim and perpetrator situation Mm -hmm. and a child being born. So I offered you guys many nuggets Mm -hmm. to, you know, feed off of and whatever works for you. Of course, don't compare, (laughs) 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 you know, so I appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Dr. Sue. Oh, gosh, you got it. I'm awful. (laughs) Supatra Tovar. Supatra Tovar. And you see, she has to assist me. I am awful when it comes to names. Well, mine's a tongue twister. So I do this all the time. I probably have to say it like many, many times before I remember. It's not even that difficult. But um, I appreciate you being here today. The words of wisdom you provided, all the piece of nuggets you fed us with. This is awesome. And your hard work, no, thank everything you. that you've done, thank you. it's, it's just a blessing and you have such a sweet soul. I appreciate your uh, feedback. It was absolutely awesome. And I you. like how you said that it is okay to pretty much just to sum up what you said, not your exact words, but listeners, please remember that we're human. Mm-hmm. None of us are perfect. We are going to make mistakes and we may do things that are disappointing to even ourselves. When I cheated, I would have never thought that I, Shirley Altador, would do such a thing. But guess what? It happened. Mm -hmm. And I can't, you know, crawl up in a little ball and act like my world has ended and my life is over. Mm -hmm. No, I need to pick up and continue to move on. Mm -hmm. I, You know, I think we are only human. And, um, you know, if we can learn how to forgive ourselves and forgive others, Mm -hmm. I actually think that's one of the most beautiful lessons that we can give ourselves in this life. And it certainly does free your mind and your soul to be able to forgive and let go of the past. And I think you should be really proud of yourself for being able to do that, even if it's still a struggle, even if you might have Mm -hmm. stumbles uh, to continue to do that and to choose love over fear is, uh, you know, the, the biggest win in my book. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we are going to end this episode. Again, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Love yourself, voice yourself, and be yourself. And until the next podcast, have a great day, guys. 
for tuning in to Fampale Podcast. If you want to continue the conversation or share your takeaways, I want to hear from you. Head on over to the website or join our Facebook community and comment your favorite part of the show or share your thoughts. I want to hear what you have to say. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Chat with you next week.